0: Professor Tom Barodi, director of the Centre for Digestive Diseases in Sydney, is once again my guest on Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and today we're going to be talking about Crohn's disease. Professor, thank you for your time, and it's nice to talk to you once again.
1: Nice to talk to you too.
0: Can you tell me, or will you tell me exactly what Crohn's disease is?
1: Well, Crohn's disease is difficult to describe because it's uh, it's an inflammation on the inside of the bowel. But essentially it is reddening and swelling with uh, ulceration and bleeding in the small and large bowel of people uh, where it causes diarrhea, cramping, uh, weight loss, anemia requiring blood transfusions and various complications including uh, holes that can come through the skin and into the bladder, into the bowel. And it's a devastating disease requiring surgery in many, many patients.
0: Do you know what causes it?
1: Well, for many years it was uh, thought to be autoimmune, but uh, new uh, data indicates that for almost almost a century it was suspected that it resembles tuberculosis. And now there is overwhelming evidence that it is caused by an infective agent uh, called Mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis, probably in the majority of cases.
0: It's not the same as uh, irritable bowel syndrome, is it?
1: No, the symptoms can be very similar at times because the bowel can only respond with so many different symptoms such as diarrhea or pain. But no, it's a different disease in that in irritable bowel syndrome there is no visible inflammation. But in Crohn's disease it is overwhelming inflammation with bleeding, diarrhea and cramping. So it's a different type of condition.
0: Is there a similarity between IBS and diverticulosis?
1: Well, diverticulosis is part of the IBS syndrome in a way because it coexists and gives similar symptoms, but it has an anatomical difference. In that diverticuli are uh, little outpouchings from inside, usually the sigmoid. This is the left side of the colon, and uh, it, it makes a pretty picture when you photograph it on the inside. But many patients with diverticular disease, if not the most, don't have any symptoms, and some have symptoms that are indistinguishable from IBS.
0: So. There's no connection between that either and Crohn's disease? No. Does it appear as the result of a chronic disease such as arthritis or stress? Uh,
1: no. Um, firstly, stress probably doesn't cause any known disease. Arthritis is inflammation of joints. And although Crohn's disease is associated with arthritis, um, it is not uh, part of the arthritis that you and I know, that is, let's say, osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. Crohn's disease is a specific, separate inflammation secondary to a chronic infection.
0: Where does it usually start in the body?
1: usually starts, or well, most of them, 70%, start in the last part of the small bowel called the terminal ileum and the cecum, which is the first part of the large bowel. But many also affect just sigmoid and rectum.
0: So can it also start higher up than that, from the esophagus down?
1: In rare situations, one always says it's from mouth to anus. So Mm. we do see some esophageal, oral and duodenal as well as gastric Crohn's. They're the minority.
0: Is it contagious?
1: One can't say it's contagious, but since the uh, balance of probabilities is now falling on the fact that it is caused by an infection, then surely people have become infected from somewhere else. So from the point of view, is it contagious person to person? Extremely unlikely. It's more likely that we all catch it from the same source, and we think it's from, from a, an animal source. It's mm-hmm. a zoonosis from uh, uh, meat, milk and, and water.
0: Does it appear in one gender more than the other?
1: No, it's, a, it's about equal, but it mm-hmm. is a disease more of young people than older people. Um, it, uh, it can strike, say, 7, 8, 9, 10 year nineteen-year-old. And then you have it for the rest of your life essentially.
0: So but it doesn't always start as young as that, does it?
1: No, it can start in the younger age, but the older age, but it certainly is a younger younger person's mm-hmm. disease.
0: Is there any connection at all from the point of view of the genetic makeup between Crohn's and bowel cancer?
1: There is an increase of bowel cancer in Crohn's, but probably because it's a chronic inflammation which in its own right predisposes to bowel cancer. Uh, but as you mentioned genetics, there is some evidence that some people are more susceptible to catching this infection and then your immune system is depressed by the infection itself, which it is in cattle. In cattle, Crohn's disease is called Yoni's disease, J-O-H-N-E-S. And that's um, certainly in people uh, driven by some sort of genetic predisposition.
0: So if a, an adult has Crohn's disease, is there any chance of him passing, or him or her, passing it on to their children?
1: Um, I don't think that the person passes the Crohn's disease on to their children, but what is passed on is the genetic susceptibility, the genes that allow um, a child to more likely catch and therefore develop the disease. For example, with a similar tuberculous condition like tuberculosis, Although you may infect 100 people with the tuberculous bug, no more than 10 to 15% actually uh, develop the actual disease and and are sick with it. So there are mechanisms in us that prevent us going into the full-blown infection, even though we might have caught Mm. it.
0: If there's only one person in the family of, let's say, of of a dozen people in the immediate family, um, grandparents, parents, and siblings. If there's only one person in that family, is it just pure luck that they've got Crohn's? Or unlucky or whatever?
1: To a certain extent, it probably is. But we learn a lot about how Crohn's is acquired in cattle and then passed that information on to, to, to humans in a way. It may be that one has to catch a large enough dose of these bugs, which um, we all actually ingest every day in, in milk, water, and meat. Uh, and possibly it's a dose-related issue, because in cattle, to catch you need to have a certain amount of bacteria before the animal develops it. So there there may be a time when you might have been travelling and you caught uh, another bacterium, such as uh, gastroenteritis, and that somehow predisposes to the beginning of the Crohn's uh, illness. But those, those are unanswered questions indeed.
0: Is it becoming more common, or is it just that we know more about it?
1: Well, it, it's measurably much more common than it was. Someone actually quoted at a recent lecture that Crohn's disease is now tenfold more common than it was during the Second World War. And some of that is due to the fact that we diagnose it better, but uh, when studies have been carried out progressively looking at the number of, of diagnoses in, in well-controlled situations and, and um, subsections of Canada and US, there is an ongoing increase uh, every two or three years. One can measure it. In the increase in number of Crohn's patients, which does not—it's not explained by the genetic um, the genetic mutation. So, it has to be like most other uh, infections and infection.
0: And does this have anything to do with diet? The, you know, the food that we're ingesting now—is that likely to have any influence on it in later, you know, later, further down the years?
1: Well, it's—it's it's probably not uh, not the diet that we eat, but uh, and and. This is an intriguing question. Why do we all uh, get exposed to, to the bug and, uh, and only a few of us catch it? But certainly it comes in through the mouth. Um, if the theory is correct, and it sounds like it is, then we ingest Mycobacterium avium in paratuberculosis uh, in uh, water, milk and meat. And, um, and so one would expect that if a person has a lot of exposure to, to the bacteria, they're more likely to catch it. But it's not that simple because um, farmers where there is a lot of Yoni's disease do not have an increased incidence of Crohn's. It could be that they're immunized early against it because of the small exposures early. Uh, all of these issues have to be uh, worked out. But no, there's no specific diet that would put exposure to Crohn's disease.
0: You're listening to Wellbeing and my guest today is Professor Tom Barodi. Professor, does an attack come on suddenly or is it something that sort of gradually creeps up on the patient?
1: Well, this, you're asking now about how Crohn starts. Mm. Both, both have, been, have been seen in clinical situation. Quite frequently, a person may come back from overseas and they've caught a gastroenteritis, say, in Thailand somewhere and it doesn't go away. And we uh, examine them with a colonoscopy and there it is, Crohn's disease. Why did it um, show up so suddenly? And in other situations, they can look back on their life where they've had intermittent diarrhea, occasional bleeding, urgency, tummy pains for years. And finally, when they um, come along for an investigation, when they look back, it was probably back five years ago that Crohn's would have been seen had they been uh, colonoscoped. So both of these presentations are seen in clinical practice.
0: So how do you diagnose
1: Well, the the symptoms usually are there of diarrhea, cramping, pain, weight loss, anemia and the most common way of diagnosing is the patient undergoes uh, an endoscopy and colonoscopy, that's gastroscopy from the top end and colonoscopy through the bowel and we find uh, narrowing, inflammation, contact bleeding, uh, things called pseudopolyps which are inflammatory elevations inside the lining and an abnormal looking picture of the bowel uh, where we know that there is swelling, oozing of blood, and in some people, obstruction leading to surgery.
0: Is it life-threatening?
1: It is not. There is no increased mortality as such, but more recently there has been some increased mortality because, um, you know, when, when you have um, an urgent operation, there will always be a small percentage of people who will not survive the complications. So there is a very minor mortality attached to it. Uh, it's a disease that you suffer all your life and it generally doesn't kill you.
0: You mentioned if they go in for surgery for for something else. Supposing a patient has appendectomy, um, could this also cause the thing to flare up?
1: Well, actually, uh, not infrequently, a patient comes in with right-sided lower pain that is so similar to appendicitis that they undergo an appendectomy. And it's discovered at that time that it isn't an appendix um, inflammation, but it's actually acute Crohn's of the terminal ileum, which is only inches away from the appendix. Mm. But the appendicectomy doesn't actually cause it. It was just it was a misdiagnosis, and and uh, one finds it was actually Crohn's all along.
0: And do you actually remove the, the appendix at that stage?
1: Some some do, but others just close up and treat the Crohn's disease. Mm.
0: And there's no cure, long-term cure for this?
1: No, there's no actual long-term cure, but there is a change, a sea change coming where in the past doctors were thinking this was an autoimmune disease. Autoimmune meaning that the immune system attacks ourselves or the bacteria in our bowel flora. But now it's becoming quite obvious that uh, this cannot be the case because with a set of antibiotics without any immune stimulation we can heal up the Crohn's disease virtually completely in a large percentage of patients. So we expect that um, if uh, ultimately we can kill and cure mycobacterial in parituberculosis, we call it MAP for short, uh, we expect ultimately to find a cure. Let, let's always remember that there was no cure for tuberculosis once and now there is. Mm-hmm. There was no cure for leprosy and we can get a percentage of patients free of also mycobacterial brothers and sisters of the Crohn's condition.
0: If a patient goes into... Um a period where they, they have no problems. There's always a risk of a relapse, isn't there?
1: Yes, we have an old way of thinking, a new way of thinking. In the past, we used to think of relapses and, and remissions because we couldn't do very much for, for these patients. And in some situations, patients go into remission uh, on their own, perhaps because they've changed the diet or something else happened. Treatment is aimed at inducing a remission. With the new therapy with antibiotics, we now get such complete healing that we can get prolonged disappearance of Crohn's provided the patient takes the antibiotics. So the nature of the disease is being changed by the, by the treatment um, that is being instituted in very few centres around the world, but it's just starting to, uh, to take off.
0: And is the only treatment um, antibiotics, or do you use any other type of medication?
1: Well, the the old therapy used to be immunosuppression with products such as prednisone, anti-inflammatory agents such as uh, mesalazine and olsalazine. These were um, old anti-inflammatory agents developed in, in the 30s, 40s. Uh, later on, as um, a like Imuran was used, and methotrexate. More recently, another immune modulator uh, called TNF-alpha antibodies, such as Remicade or Infliximab, which is in the press currently. But these are aiming at reducing our body's response to the infection that causes the inflammation, uh, along the current best theory. And we're moving away from this and we're using more and more anti mycobacterial antibiotics without any immune suppression. And so we think that the future therapy will be essentially antibiotics. We've also discovered that inuran and methotrexate both have activity at at normal concentrations that we use, against mycobacteria may have impaired tuberculosis. So the old treatments actually had activity against the bug. So we don't know anymore if it's immunosuppression that's uh, that's helping the patient, or is it the antimycobacterial activity of the immunosuppressants that were, were active. So there's a whole watershed now happening, uh, and um, the old thinking uh, doctors are still stuck in the immunosuppression area and the more moving uh, novel therapy is becoming antibiotics for Crohn's.
0: Now, if a patient has a flare-up, do they need to go to hospital?
1: Well, with a severe flare, yes, we have to hospitalise patients and treat them with intravenous fluids, um, remove the inflammation as quickly as possible to prevent obstruction, maybe give them blood transfusion, and at times... um, it takes weeks to be in hospital when it's very severe and there's obstruction surgery has to be used. But um, one would like to avoid hospitalising patients and that's why we put them on long-term treatment to prevent these things happening.
0: If there's a, a flare-up, it starts to settle down, does the patient need to be off work? I mean, once if they've been hospitalised, they obviously would. But if they just have a, a severe attack, do they need to be off work?
1: Generally speaking, most patients uh, learn how to manage their disease themselves to a certain extent so they don't lose too much time off work. And, uh, yes, the very severe ones, of course, they'll have to be off work or post-surgery off work. Uh, but, no, most people are ambulatory, able to go to work with their condition managed with drugs.
0: And is it just the, the way it, um, it progresses or doesn't progress there's no sort of time lapse that think, oh, this will come back in six months' time or two years' time. It's just whatever triggers it off at that particular stage.
1: Well, with the older medications, which we use predominantly still, um, because the new ones are rather expensive, uh, yes, you can be on the standard anti-inflammatory therapy, and even though you're on these drugs, you can get a relapse. Much fewer relapses uh, occur with the new antibiotic therapies uh, except if you catch a secondary infection, but yes, in the past it was it was just um, much more difficult to predict. Even though you're on the standard so-called therapy that should work, you could still have a relapse every now and again. But there is no clock to it; it was, it's out of our hands. It seems.
0: So it really is pot luck as far as that goes.
1: Absolutely unpredictable.
0: You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. And my guest today is Professor Tom Barodi. Professor, I'm not sure whether I asked you this earlier, but does it run in families in, with, with siblings?
1: Yes, it does seem to be more frequent in families. The reason for this initially was thought to be genetic and it probably plays a major role. But now with the infection with mycobacteria being thought to be the most likely cause of the majority of Crohn's, um, it may be that uh, the family may have a genetic predisposition, but um, uh, the infection m- means that they may have eaten from the same high dose food of of, my- of mycobacteria. Uh, there is one uh, very well recorded case where the whole family, including wife and husband, different genetics, had Crohn's mm. and two children. So uh, we're not sure currently what role the genetic um, predisposition plays, but Clearly it plays a predisposition in many other uh, illnesses and I'm sure it's will in Crohn's.
0: And I guess as far as genetic goes, it could actually jump a few um, generations and then reappear again later. Absolutely. Mm. If a patient's been on steroids as part of their initial treatment, say, a while back, is there any chance of any other problems arising as a result of having had this treatment?
1: Well, we tend to keep patients off steroids wherever possible because long-term uses, use of steroids is associated with, uh, with many complications. Even short-term, you can see what's called moon face, the swelling of the face because of uh, prednisone. And uh, skin changes, like breaking of skin, almost like um, pregnancy uh, skin Uh, changes, and the worst, of course, are bone changes. We have patients who hadn't been off steroids for many years and they um, now suffer uh, damage to their bones in the hips and they need to have hip replacement because you can get necrosis or dying of the head of the femur, the long bone in the legs. So steroids are nasty little things, useful short-term, bad news, long-term treatment.
0: Mm. Does Crohn's affect? Any other part of the, or you know, any other organs in the body, such as the liver.
1: It it has affected many other organs, and we have a little boy currently who has Crohn's, simply um, damaging and ulcerating just his buttocks and his scrotum, and it's very little in his bowel. But extra intestinal, outside Crohn's um, disease, is not common. It has affected the mouth, or that that is um, that is the GI tract. There are sporadic cases here and there of it affecting the heart. But um, generally speaking, it tends to remain in the soil that it likes, and, and that is the bowel.
0: So there's not much not much else to worry about other than the actual Crohn's itself if you happen to be the patient.
1: Sure. I mean, there are mm-hmm. other areas where Crohn's shows itself, such as arthritis and skin conditions, such as erythema and adocin. But they're, they're mainly, mainly um, immune reactions, possibly, to the to the Crohn's illness.
0: If a person has had some severe attacks of gastroenteritis over a period of time, how concerned should they be that they might, in fact, have Crohn's rather than just a stomach upset? Well, that's
1: a good question because a proportion of patients actually present uh, for investigations because they thought they had recurrent gastroenteritis, but in fact they have recurrent mild Crohn's that are just developing. And so uh, that's a very valid question. I think if someone does have recurrent symptoms, it sound like uh, gastroenteritis, they should should have some investigations.
0: Would they always show bleeding as as the result of, of gastroenteritis as well as Crohn's?
1: No, you don't always have to have bleeding. You just might have mm. pain and diarrhea, weight loss or uh, t- tummy pains that are severe at times. And it just doesn't show itself that easily,
0: because mm, often it's it's the the sight of blood in the stools that often um, trigger people. Oh, cracky! I've got to go because because.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, mean, blood, blood is such a you know, such an explanation mark to our, mm. our brain. Oh, I've got to do something about it. That's what it's associated with. But there are other milder symptoms that can be the first sign uh, that something's going on.
0: So it's better if they do have a history of tummy upsets to so go and do something, have it checked out just in case?
1: Especially if it's recurrent.
0: Mm. What's the first steps they should take to get it checked out?
1: Well, I think if you go to your doctor, the doctor will examine you and take the history. Also, would have a, a blood test to, to see if there is of lo- iron, if there's anemia. If there is inflammation, there are blood tests like ESR and CRP, won't so count. Um, And then if the doctor feels that there is a case to be answered, then uh, you should have uh, endoscopy examination. Sometimes we do x-rays of the small bowel to see if there's any constriction, any narrowing of the bowel, and biopsies are taken during the colonoscopy.
0: If a person's been diagnosed and the family are obviously concerned about the welfare of this patient, are there support groups for the patients and their families around the country?
1: Yes, there is um, a very, an excellent support group called ACCA, Australian Crowns Colitis Foundation, um, and can be accessed on, on the net. Mm. And they you join the society and you get a lot of information and support from ACCA. And I think um, there is a lot of literature which can uh, obtain from the GI Foundation uh, in Prince of Wales. And of course, the greatest support can come from a good relationship with a gastroenterologist that will be treating the patient with Crohn's long-term.
0: Professor, thank you very much for answering all my questions today. My guest today has been Professor Tom Barodi. He's the Director of the Centre for Digestive Diseases in Sydney. Thank you for listening. This is Iris Nichols on behalf of all the team wishing you well.